Welcome in, everybody, to another episode of the Dynamic Dialogue Podcast. As always, I am your host, Danny Matringa, and today we are going to get into your Q&As fairly quickly here. I have a diverse set of questions from you guys. I appreciate you filing those away over on the old Instagram. But before we get into that, some housekeeping. A few people have asked my opinion on this new Krispy Kreme free donut every day for the rest of 2021 if you're vaccinated. This has been all over the internet and it's been all over the fitness Instagram, Twitter meme world, given that we just went through a global pandemic in which a lot of people were forced to, um, I guess we should say reanalyze their relationship with their health, you know, take inventory again on where they're at, because at least here in America, we lost almost a half a mil- over a half a million people to COVID. But, I shouldn't say but, that's probably the wrong way to look at this, but um, of the people who died, many of them, a high percentage, I believe the number is like almost 80%, were overweight or obese or had a comorbidity. And so again, it's still, it's not to minimize COVID and to say, oh, you can't die of COVID or you can't get a serious case of COVID if you're healthy and young. That's not true. Um, Plenty of players in the NBA and NFL got COVID really bad. Um, And they're probably a lot healthier than the average person, probably a lot healthier than many of you who are listening. Um, So we're not trying to minimize it, but we're just trying to say, okay, so uh, COVID was obviously a problem. It obviously didn't discriminate too much, but it did appear to be more dangerous for people who were overweight, obese, or had a comorbidity. And how can Krispy Kreme do this? You know, like, what what kind of a message is this sending? You know, we're giving out donuts if you've been vaccinated. That's, you know, that's going to cause a whole nother problem, and it's going to make the obesity epidemic even worse. And, you know, I I get it. I understand where that narrative is coming from. I get where people are coming from. But this is a donut shop. Like, what do you expect them to do? Do you expect them to try to sell less donuts? Like, I I totally get it. In the fitness space, in the health space, it it seems ridiculous. Because we don't want anybody to go out and just get donuts for free every day, given their hyper-palatability, almost zero ability to keep you satiated. They're devoid of protein. They're effectively... I, I, as far as foods that are quote unquote empty calories, consider that like, let's see here really quick. What are, what are the calories in the average Krispy Kreme donut? Let's do a little math. So one original glazed Krispy Kreme donut is 190 calories, 11 fat, 22 carbs, 10 grams of sugar, three protein. Okay. There's actually a little bit more protein in there than I thought. But if you have one of those a day, you're going to effectively be adding one fairly large soda's uh, worth of calories into your diet, uh, a couple glasses, small glasses of wine into your diet. Uh, actually, wine can have like 120. So a big glass of wine into your diet. Um, you know, th- this is, if you were to go and do this every day, yes, I could totally see this being a problem. Um, but what I think this is, is I don't think this is nefarious and evil. I think this is a donut shop doing what donut shops are liable to do. Try to find a way to become you know, relevant in the social media cycle enough to uh, get some exposure. And they've clearly done that with this. And then they're going to sell some donuts because here's the thing. They're going to give you one donut for free. But who the hell ever ate just one donut? 
you know, they sell these things by the dozen for a reason. I think what they'll do is they'll just find a way to use this to get people in the door. They might get a free donut here and there, but they really are going to come in and get a dozen after a while. They're trying to create customers. They're trying to incentivize people to come shop at their business. Does it suck that their business like sells hyper palatable foods that are really high in calories and don't have a ton of protein? Yeah, kind of. Probably not best for a population that, again is over more overweight and obese than many other countries. And we just kind of were at the mercy of a pandemic that appeared to, if it discriminated at all, discriminate quite apparently against people who were overweight or obese. So I get that we'd be frustrated about this, but I think this is a confluence of things like, okay, you got a donut shop doing what donut shops do. Of course, health and fitness people are going to get frustrated about it. No, you shouldn't be encouraging people to eat donuts every single day but then again that's what we're here for to you know provide a little nuance but if more people get vaccinated and less people get COVID-19 and that's all that comes of this is a few people eat some extra donuts that wouldn't have otherwise gotten that vaccination I think that's probably a good thing Uh, so there could be a net positive here it's not all evil but you know, something that has been like all over the place lately, I got a bunch of questions about, and I wanted to kind of parse it apart because I do feel a bunch of different ways. At first I was like super inflamed too. I was like, how could they do this? This is so ridiculous. This is terrible. This is the worst thing ever. But then I was like, what the fuck do you expect a donut shop to do? You know, that's what they're going to do. So again, it's just the way the world works. Getting into your guys' question. This one comes from at underscore Miriam underscore, and she asks, how do you cut sugar? So a lot of people want to reduce their sugar intake for multitude of reasons. So let's outline what those may be. Um, the first is that people identify that they eat too much sugar for their health goals or the longevity goals that they have, how long they want to live, how healthy they want to be. You can have great body composition and eat quite a bit of sugar, but sugar and too much intake of sugar with, you know, poor exercise habits and poor lifestyle habits can be independently dangerous for some people if you eat too much uh, from a lot of different reasons. It can make other conditions worse. It's not the best idea for your long-term health to just mainline sugar. That shouldn't surprise anybody. So some people want to reduce it for health reasons. Now, other people want to get their diets in check and their calories in check and change their body composition. And maybe they've identified that sugary foods or hyperpalatable sugary foods have become a problem. So they want to reduce it. Maybe some people feel like they have a really high coping uh, relationship, or I should say tough to beat coping relationship established with sugary foods where they use them when they're feeling emotional as a comfort mechanism. They turn to food and and sugary foods are often available in their space and that can be problematic. So there's lots of reasons why people might want to reduce their sugar intake. And here are my tips that I think are relatively universal regardless of the reasons why you want to reduce your sugar intake. And the first is to just create some friction around exposure through implementing some environmental constraints. Like make it harder to be exposed to sugar by changing how much sugar is in your environment. Don't bring a bunch of sugary foods home, for example. Um, If you keep sugary cereals, like for for myself, for example, one of the only real sugary foods I keep in the house is cereal, which I have post-workout. For the most part, it's like more savory stuff because I do like sweet things on occasion. So I'll have the cereal, but I won't bring a whole bunch of other sweet stuff home. Uh, If it's not there, I'm not so inclined to eat it. We'll get into some of the other tips I have as we break this question down further. But 
really what we're trying to do here is if you struggle with it and you want to reduce it, don't have it all over your house. Something else you can do with your environment that might be helpful is to identify some sweet tasting alternatives that have less or no sugar. So for some people that might be like LaCroix or Spindrift, or maybe other people would prefer something like diet soda. I think that artificial sweeteners are pretty innocuous in small doses. So I'm not a huge I'm not a hater on diet soda per se. I do understand that many people do not want to, let's say, roll the dice on regular intake of artificial sweeteners. They might be concerned about some of the alteration in microbiome. I get that. Some people say stupid shit like it's worse for you than sugar, or they say stupid stuff like, oh, it's actually going to spike your insulin, when in fact none of that is the case, really. Your artificial sweeteners, that is. Things like aspartame, sucralose, Splenda. Uh, Wait, I think sucralose is Splenda. Anyway, you get my point. I am not nearly as anti-artificial sweeteners uh, or artificial non- or anti-non-nutritive sweeteners as many people in our space. I think they can be totally fine. But if you can keep stuff like that in your your space, you can keep maybe a diet soda, some LaCroix, something sweet that, that bites that. Uh, or like can help you nip that craving in the bud, maybe some fruit like strawberries or apples, things that are fibrous. That can be another really good way to help you cut your uh, sugar cravings or your desire for sweet foods. Uh, I don't recommend depriving entirely. I think that's problematic for several instances and that I think it can lead to binging. I think it doesn't create a relationship with food that allows you to have the freedom that most people want. Like what good is having control over it if you can't ever indulge or you can't ever deviate or break? That can be really tough. And then the last little piece is to, if you have the ability to do so, uh, and you are going to work to incorporate small little bits of sugary foods into your diet. So like I said, you're not depriving, you're maybe giving yourself a defined amount per day. Position it around your training. You know, sugar around the training window, if it's not in massive amounts, uh, can be beneficial. It can give you a little bit of extra fuel, some quick blood glucose availability for training. And post-workout, it can help with glycogen repletion and enhancing insulin sensitivity post-workout, which is great for uptake of myriad things like carbohydrate, of course, creatine, branched-chained amino acids, proteins, uh, I guess... If I'm saying proteins, I'm effectively communicating to you that you'd be assimilating all amino acids. Anyway, you take in a bunch of good shit if you are insulin sensitive and you have a little bit of sugar post-workout. It can be really beneficial because sugar is going to enhance the insulin response. Very cool, very cool. So those are my tips for how to cut sugar. Hey guys, just wanted to take a quick second to say thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And if you're finding value, it would mean the world to me if you would share it on your social media. Simply screenshot whatever platform you're listening to and share the episode to your Instagram story or share it to Facebook. But be sure to tag me so I can say thanks and we can chat it up about what you liked and how I can continue to improve. Thanks so much for supporting the podcast and enjoy the rest of the episode. The next question from Rob's Up 2 asks, why don't you have a YouTube channel? And so my response to this is relatively quick. And I will admit that I probably should, given that I have quite a bit of practice in front of the camera. Many of you are probably aware that I did some YouTube videos in the past. Um, But I don't have a problem being in front of the camera. I did learn a lot in my experience filming uh, and doing YouTube when I was working with Mind Pump that... One, I don't love it 
for somebody who feels fairly competent and confident in front of a camera, I like to explain I've coached a lot of people. It comes fairly natural compared to what I've seen other people maybe struggle with in that same arena. Uh, it's just a lot. Like when I was traveling down uh, to Mind Pump to film videos, I was filming between eight and 12 videos weekly. Uh, and that would be all in one day. So I would drive down there and then in one day I'd try to bang out like eight to 12 videos. And there's a lot of stuff that goes into making these things look really, really good. Um, and I'm kind of a perfectionist. And so I understand that if I was going to do this on my own, right, this would take a lot of time. Like it took us when we were doing these videos, the whole morning, like we would get started at five thirty six in the morning and film until one, maybe two in the afternoon. And then I would drive home. And that was usually without taking any time. And we'd spend between 30 to 50 minutes on a video, depending on the length of the video, sometimes longer. And there would usually only be one take. Um, and I'm not saying that to brag, but like, you can ask Eli who did the, the videos at the time and even Christian who still does a lot of work for me now. Uh, I can one take Jake a lot of this stuff, which is kind of nice. It makes things a little bit easier. And a lot of that is selective because I had played some role in selecting the content that we were filming. We would It was mostly collaborative, but with the you know minimal instructions of kind of make everything available to drive to uh, leads... Uh, or or downloadable products, I didn't have a ton of constraints. We would film stuff that I was pretty comfortable talking about. But that shit took a lot of energy. I would be zonked after that. Because you have to be very on. You have to be very deliberate with everything you're saying in a much different way that I am here because I have to engage an audience differently on video and explain and point and use different cues. And then after you film the talking part, you'd have to film the B-roll, which is where you hold the weights and you perform you know, four to eight reps from different angles. And like that alone would be like kind of a decent little workout. So it'd be like a slow rolling six hour workout where every once in a while I would do like a set from a few different angles while I talked about exercise and I'd be pretty tired. And so that experience really let me know, Hey, I don't love this a lot. And I respect the amount of work that needs to be done to do it right. And I don't know if I really want to commit to that right now, given that I'm enjoying the balance I have with my personal life, um, my relationships, my ability to train my clients and work with my clients online. And as we transition here into what seems like the post COVID era, um, I'd like to have the, a, a little bit more time to travel or maybe to, um, and just go golfing places or enjoy things like that. And I think that starting a YouTube channel and committing to it the way that I think I would want to would really be tough. So next question comes from Austin Digo, double underscore, advice for trainer who doesn't want to teach classes. Okay, so for new trainers, one of the biggest pitfalls, this is something I used to see all the time when I was managing trainers at big box gyms. Nobody wants to teach the fucking classes. And that's usually like the new trainer, low man on the totem pole, low woman on the totem pole. Oh, the instructor didn't show up, eat shit. You got to teach the class. You don't have any clients. You're just sitting here fucking around. You got to go teach the class. And most trainers be like, no, I don't want to do that. It's not what I signed up for. I think group exercise is dumb. I want to do one-on-one coaching. and be hella invested in my one client. I get it. I was that guy too. But here's the thing. You are still teaching. So even if you don't like the class, maybe you don't like the class format, you still have a lot of people in front of you. You can still change a lot of people's lives. You can reach more people in a class than you ever could one-on-one. 
Now, this is an argument of depth versus width, and that you can't penetrate and get as much out of a class as you can in a one-on-one relationship. You can't make as big of an individual impact, but you can really help a lot of people if you do a class right. And if you're a newer trainer, which I'm guessing you might be, given that most veteran trainers in most situations uh, don't do a lot of classes, quote-unquote, against their will. It sounds like if you don't want to teach classes, somebody's asking you to teach classes. That's the inference I'm making. Um, If you're new, you should be relishing every opportunity you can get to work with different types of people. This is only going to help you refine your craft. And also, it's a very good lead generator and that you've got like 15 to 20 people in front of you who you've already identified are somewhat invested in their fitness. If you can build a little bit of a relationship with everybody in that class, each one of them can become a lead. And what I mean by a lead is that's somebody who may or may not warm up. You have hot leads, you have warm leads, you have cold leads. Like when the class starts and you make introductions and you you work with people, they're leads and maybe they're cold. If you start letting them know about, uh, your one-on-one services and some of those people start talking you to you back about them and inquiring, then you have a few cold leads, but some of them are warming up. And then you might get two or three of them that start saying, hey, I need some additional help. I love the way you're teaching the class. Can I work with you one-on-one? Now you have hot leads and those could easily become clients. So if somebody's giving you like free rooms full of people to train, and it doesn't always end up being the most enjoyable way to spend your time. I can respect that as somebody who likes one-on-one people, but it's still a really good opportunity or one-on-one training. It's still a really good opportunity to help people. It's still a really good opportunity to build a good reputation in your facility. And I think even more so, it's ability to refine your, refine your craft, working with different types of people. And, you know, this is something we'll touch on a little bit in the mentorship, uh, which again, guys, I'm, I'm working through this slowly. I want to do it right. I, I get the messages and the DMs from you guys. I understand the excitement and the anticipation. It's going to be cool. It's going to be very, very unique in that. I really want to integrate what I have seen from putting so much skin in the game doing this, whether it was in a box gym, whether it's one-on-one, whether it's online, whether it was, like I said, doing YouTube. I've done a bunch of different shit, and I want to make sure that all of this is layered into that so you guys can really just take everything I've got and run with it. I basically want everything that I've accumulated in my brain that I have a hard time communicating into a concise, uh, very deliberate, impactful uh message. Like I want to condense that into this course. So every little last drop is just wrung out of my brain. Like, but as it goes through the funnel, I want to weed out all the crap. So all you guys are left with is just the absolute golden nuggets. I want you to really be able to take the stuff and run with it. So I'm doing a lot of distillation and that I'm taking the big concepts and I'm refining them, refining them, refining them into what I believe are the most actionable, impactful tips, topics, courses, or course that we could really put together here. So I'm excited. Just remain patient while we work through it. I think it's going to be special when the time comes. Okay. So that I think covers the question about classes. You're going to have to be, you're going to have to get comfortable getting out of your comfort zone at some point in the fitness space. If you're new and people want you to teach classes, it's an amazing opportunity to build your reputation, potentially move some leads through your funnel, warm some up. You'll Hopefully, if you're doing your job right, be crafting a great reputation, which is something you should always be working on in your industry, even if that's not fitness. So again, my two cents there. Last question comes from Maya Sam. No, Maya Sam. How to manage nutrition while working on mental health? So this is a really good 
question. And I, I understand here why this person's probably separated the two, even though I would tell you at face value, nutrition and health are inextricable. And that if your nutrition is shit, your mental health will probably never be optimal. And if your mental health is never, isn't, you know, in a good place, it can make it really easy for your nutrition to go to shit. And I think that this person is highlighting the back half of what I just said, which is that, hey, maybe I'm stressed, maybe I'm depressed, maybe I'm anxious, maybe I'm trying to manage my mental health, my well-being. Uh, and that's taking a lot of energy and it's leaving me in a situation where I'm not, uh, I don't have as much willpower, energy, desire, focus to really keep my diet nice and clean. I'm struggling, quote unquote clean. I'm struggling because food is an available coping mechanism. And while I'm working through some of these mental health issues, um, I'm really struggling with getting my diet to look the way I want because a lot of the foods I turn to to cope aren't the foods that I've identified are ideal for my fitness and wellness goals. That's probably what we're talking about here. Um, and so I think it's really important to, like I said, identify that your mental health and your, your nutrition are in some ways inextricable. They have to go hand in hand. If you are saying like, man, I'm really depressed. I'm really struggling. I'm really having a hard time. I'm really anxious. I'm really going through a lot. It will probably be a little bit harder to focus on your nutrition and focus on eating in a way that nourishes your body because there's a lot of other stress. But I think it's really important to also remind yourself that giving your body everything it needs through nutrition, whether it's macronutrition, getting enough carbs, fats, proteins, micronutrition, making sure you're getting all your vitamins, minerals, antioxidants, even lifestyle stuff like sleep and stress. Like if you're struggling with depression, and anxiety, sometimes that's not enough. But for a lot of people that can really help in the same way that exercise can help. Everybody's different. Everybody's mental health battle is going to be different, right? It's not going to be easy for some people. Some people need medication. Some people need therapy. Some people need more, you know, but I would imagine that if you're struggling with this, you know, reminding yourself that your nutrition can be a part of the solution is a really powerful tool. Um, approach it proactively um, as well. And constructively, I would say to look for opportunities to better nourish your body, better nourish your brain, your mind, and say, hey, you know, th th doing this is good for me. A lot of times I think when people struggle with mental health, one of the hardest things to do is to actually lean into taking good care of yourself. When I've dealt with some of this stuff in the past, I find that it's really, really easy to just completely give up on taking the best care of myself, whether that's not getting enough sleep, um, you know, whether that's not eating the best food, whether that's you know, it sounds kind of gross, but like even going an extra day without showering or taking, like these are real things that people with mental health, uh, you know, problems or mental health, I, I don't even want to call them problems, who, this is a spectrum, mental health is a spectrum, and you may or may not find yourself um, exactly where you want to be on every given day. A lot of us have things that fluctuate. So I've seen a lot of crazy stuff in my life with mental health and family dealing with that. And I can tell you that when you are struggling and you're in that depressed state, even taking a shower and doing laundry can seem like the most daunting task. So try to be constructive and proactive about or pragmatic. Work it in where you can. If you're really struggling, just do your best. Um, there really isn't any reason to beat yourself up about it if you're already there and you're already down and you're already struggling. So just do your best. Thank you.